Hello and welcome to a new episode of the NACA podcast. I'm Doug Church, Deputy Director of Public Affairs at the National Air Traffic Controllers Association. One of the most popular panels at NACA's Communicating for Safety event over the years has been when we've focused on pilot controller communications. It's also the focus of so many of our outreach efforts to pilots across the country in various venues, from AirVenture Oshkosh to local pilot meetings and webinars. Today, we are honored to bring you part three of the four-part conversation between NACA's own Jamie Sanders, an air traffic controller at Denver Centennial Air Traffic Control Tower, who was also an experienced pilot, and Major Katie Cook, a third-generation military aviator who was the first female pilot in the storied history of the great Blue Angels team of the Navy. Sanders and Cook have a unique perspective to offer on pilot controller communications, which you will hear in this part of their conversation. Enjoy. So now the other part that we wanted to talk about a little bit and why why we are here again is to kind of bridge that gap with controllers and pilots. And listening to you, you have a lot of experience with a lot of different situations with controllers. So I think that this is great. Um, the big thing that I kind of think about when going when I when I started was I was scared to talk to controllers in the beginning. I was I was a teenager, but I don't think that's really it. It was just being new, being scared that I was going to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing and that they'd be angry with me. And I was just kind of curious what your experience was when you first started out communicating with ATC. Yeah, I would agree. Um, so I would say ATC and talking on the radios is is way harder than flying an actual airplane, right? Because <laughs> I know that sounds weird, but you know, being able to manipulate the airplane and put it where you want to, that's all on you. And you can chair fly and practice that and get in a sim and do all of that. But communicating with somebody outside the airplane um, is scary. And you know that everyone else on that radio can hear you, right? And so you're going to sound dumb if you mess this up. And I, I remember when I was a new pilot on my kneeboard, I literally had it written out how to request a clearance you know, and then, and then where I would write it down to read back, you know, and, and how to request uh, an approach or whatever. I had it all written out because I was so scared that I was going to mess it up. Um, and so I gave myself a script, but I, I would definitely say that that was my initial feeling as being scared to talk on the radios. The thing that changed my life when it came to my approach for, to controllers is I had a instructor when I was in the C-130, brand new pilot in the C-130. And we are a crew aircraft, right? And in addition to you, you have a co-pilot, you have a crew master, you have some load masters in the back. Um, and so there, there's, it's a robust crew um, and, and there can be several of those positions on the airplane. And, they, and my instructor told me, you know, you need to think of ATC as another crew member here. That's just not in the airplane with you. And that. once I got my mind wrapped around that, and I mean, there's so many examples. For example, the C-130 that just recently did the uh, wheels up landing in the in El Centro, California. If you listen to that ATC tape, like you hear the ELT go off, you hear the pilot is is uh, you know before the ELT goes off, you hear the pilot talking to ATC, telling them that there's an issue that they're trying to land at this airfield, whatever. And once they get too low for to be able to communicate anymore, that that ATC controller is jumping right in and getting other airplanes in the area to see where it's at. They're getting crash fire rescue on station and all this stuff. And so it's, it's very unusual for a pilot to call 911 himself or herself, right? 
the controller is already on top of that. They've got your back and they're looking out for you. So they're just another crew member that just happens to not be physically with you. And once I could think of APC like that, that they were uh, a, a friend that had your back rather than, you know, this person to be scared of or this person who's going to get you in trouble because you violated your, <laughs> your altitude or something. Like instead of seeing, they're not the hammer or the big brother that's going to get you. They're, they're the ones that are trying to keep you safe and they have your back um, when things go sideways. Like that changed my perspective of ATC completely. That's such a great way of looking at it. And I think that's a, that's a huge way for um, new pilots to think of it is we are, we're just another member of that crew and um, we're here to help. We're, you know, all everyone together, everyone that has the picture in the bed and we're all on the same page. We, we make a, we produce a better product. Right. And with that controlling is the same thing. I did the same thing when I first started controlling, I wrote down everything and we have to say phraseology perfect too. We also can get in trouble if we say stuff wrong. And I mean, just today I was controlling and there's always times I stumble on my words a little bit here and there and I have to say correction. I mean, those things are just, that's human nature. It's natural. And so I just hope that people understand and pilots understand that, that we're all in this together. And there's times where we all kind of don't maybe understand what the the other side of the radio is saying or don't sound as professional as we're supposed to sound. And, and, but we're here to get through it together, you know? Yep. And then one thing that I, I would really recommend for new pilots, specifically if they're flying out of controlled airfields, if they could do like a field trip up to the tower and meet the controllers and see what it's like up in a tower. I, I, and that's one thing that people don't know about the Blue Angels is if you're not, so Fat Albert actually has three pilots usually every year. So only two need to fly the show. So the extra pilot actually goes into the tower and is in there to make sure the TFRs are in place that, you know, we're helping make sure that um, there's no traffic or if there's any weird kind of things that the Blue Angels do, we let the controllers know and all that stuff. And so being in, say, Oakland Tower, where, where I got to go multiple years in a, in a row, and that is extremely busy watching them work like a well-oiled machine, but also getting to know them on a personal level and knowing that, hey, I, I remember last year that you just had a baby. How's your baby doing? You know, and just per, th- these are people. They're real people, just like you and me, you know, and a lot of them are pilots, too, you know, just like you are. And so I, I would really recommend for flight instructors with those new kids who are scared to talk on the radio especially if they're flying out of a controlled airfield, get them up to that tower, get them to meet the people. Because then, you know, when the controller's like, Hey, Katie, calm down, you're good. You know, if there's an, if there's a situation, you know, having that friendly voice on the other end is, would do, you know, huge. I love that. Cause uh, we, we were doing tours a lot the daily at our facility because we do deal with a lot of trainees and a lot of mm-hmm. uh, flight schools. And I loved having that opportunity mostly because I could just say, Hey, I'm here to help. And if you don't mm-hmm. have, I don't know what's going on. You have any question, you just speak up and you let us know and we'll, we'll help yep. you with, you know, whatever you need. That's what we're here for. So I, I did like it and I did like getting to know them and, and I still, you know, especially now it's Christmas. It's, it's kind of sad because of COVID they're all dropping yeah. off packages. They can't come up, and, but normally they'd all be hanging out in the tower and we have that kind of relationship and it's really, it's really neat. Um, the other thing with that is the aspect of if you're confused on the radios as far as if tower gives you weird instruction or a controller gives you weird instruction, 
what what do you recommend for these these pilots if they don't quite know what what the the instruction was? So I mean, I think you can always use plain language, right? And it, it may be embarrassing on the back end, but you'll be you'll be safer for it, right? Um, and you'd much rather come home safe and in one piece, and and maybe your pride tarnished a little bit because you didn't understand something rather than do something wrong, put someone in danger, yourself in danger. And so, especially if you're on the ground and you don't understand something, you can stop right where you're at, right? Stop where you're at, ask for clarification, even playing language, you know, tower, this is me. I didn't quite understand. Can you repeat? Then they'll know you just admitted you didn't understand. Then they'll know they may say it a little bit differently, you know, maybe a little bit less technical so that you could grasp it, right? Like, hey, come up here, you're gonna turn right, I'll give you progressive taxi, taxi or whatever you wanna ask. If you're in the air, unless you're in a helicopter, you can't stop, right? But you can um, you can tell them pretty pretty quickly of uh, tower or whoever you're talking to, center, whatever, this is me. Can you please clarify what, I, what, I, what you asked me to do or can you please repeat? Um, I didn't quite understand. And by by kind of adding that little bit, I didn't understand. It wasn't that you misheard, right? It's that you just didn't understand. And so that's where the plain language kind of comes in. That all of us have like misheard stuff and like, hey, can you repeat that or, you know, say again? Um, and And the phraseology is fine. It's when you don't comprehend that you need that kind of plain language. And there's no, there's nothing wrong with saying that we're all we're all you know, normal people, and especially as these new pilots go, like, you guys know their pilot, especially when they add student onto the back of their call sign, you guys know that they're going to mess up, and they're, and they're new, and they're going to ask these type of questions, and so you're fully prepared for it, um, and so I don't think there's any, any, you know, kind of thing that you need to be worried about for asking for plain language clarification. I absolutely agree, and I mean, we have a busy airport. We, we, I think we take for granted that most of the people are locals. If they're not, they're confused right away because it's all VFR points. Yeah. It's not on the map. Yeah. And, and so they get confused and we're talking fast and this is the traffic to follow. And a lot of times in our pattern, we'll, I mean, we'll have, you know, eight to even more in the pattern and they'll accidentally cut each other off. And yeah. So the way that obviously controllers try to do our part by saying, this is the one you're following and do you verify you have them in sight, all that kind of stuff. But then the ones that ask, you know, where's my traffic? Just verify this is my traffic. I always try to tell them, thank you for asking. You know, I'm busy and I always try to let them know, I appreciate that they're clarifying. It's better for everyone if if you just ask the question. And if you get that controller that happens to be snippety about it, that's on that controller. You're yeah. doing you're doing your part to be thorough and make sure that you're safe. So yeah, and that and that's the controller's job, right? The controller's job is to make sure that everybody has the best situational awareness about what's going on. And even if the pilot is struggling a little bit because they're they're new, it's still on the controller to keep that person safe too, right? If that if that person lands or or if that person crashes or has an accident or whatever, the the first person that they're going to investigate is going to be, they're going to pull the tapes in the tower, right? So you guys are going to be on the hook just as much as that pilot. And so that's what, just like when you go to the doctor and you're like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm here. I've got this really bad cold. Can I please get a prescription? I always feel like super bad that I'm inconveniencing him. That's their freaking job. 
It's the ATC's job too to keep you safe. And so asking for clarification, asking for confirmation, all that stuff, that's ATC's job. Yes, you might be inconveniencing them just a little bit, but they, they talk like that. That's their natural tone sometimes. Um, and if they jump down your throat about it, then just like you said, they're, they're not a very good controller then. Right. 100%. I absolutely agree. I thank you so much. Cause it is, it really is about um, getting the past to understand that that, that is our job. We're here to serve and we're here to keep everyone safe. And I know for me, anything weird, unusual that happens it is GA and it's um, there are a lot of planes. So we have that kind of stuff happen and a lot. And I just want to do whatever I can to help them. And so that clear communication is just, it's so important. It really is. Um, so but that does not give pilots a free pass to treat ATC like crap either, right? <laughs> just because they're not in an airplane doesn't mean that they're lesser than you. In fact, they're probably more important than you because they are keeping you safe and keeping people from crashing into you. So I hate it when I hear people be rude to the controllers. That's, that's completely uncalled for. I so. do appreciate that shout out. And I mean, that goes both ways, you know, that's just part of, I mean, it, I think a lot of ways pilots and controllers are, they're, they're the same breed. Um, there's a lot of, yes. times, there's a lot of good days, and a lot of bad days with personalities and, you know, I think that we just yep. got to understand that on both sides. And I just kind of brush that kind of stuff off for the most part. Um, I did want to ask you with the controlling side of things, flying all over the world, dealing with military and FAA, how different is it? And how do you deal with that kind of stuff? Um, military and FAA, not, not very different, I would say. Not very different in overseas in FAA is way different, especially when they're speaking English and they have an accent. Mm. It is, it's so hard because I am a guest in their country, right? And, and again, asking them to repeat things over and over, I feel terrible, right? Mm. Because I'm like, I, I know they're trying to speak English and I'm trying to understand this broken English, you know, and that, I, that's, that's the hardest part, I would say. And then sometimes they'll use, in Canada, they have some phrases that are like really similar to ours or, you know, and so you're like, I think this is what they mean. Is this what they mean? You know? And so that I would say it's the nuances of flying internationally that were a little bit um, more difficult or when they would use millibars instead of inches and, you know, and so there, there's just like a little bit of difference and that's the stuff that was a little bit different, but in the States going from a military tower to an FAA tower, both very professional, both very proficient at their job. Um, yeah, I, w I wouldn't say I'd notice very much of a difference. Do you have any um, unique memories or anything when dealing with ATC that come to mind or experiences you've had? I guess that um, where they wouldn't let you talk to your female. That's, that's kind of unique. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the States, let's see here. So... Um, one, it was, it's all, it's always awesome to fly under the blue angel call sign because every controller knows who you are and we'll take off out of Pensacola and they're like, yeah, you're, you're, you're clear direct to Denver or something, you know, because you have that call sign. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I've had amazing conversations just over the radio with, with controllers all over the country, just because of that call sign, or they would recognize my voice because obviously I was the only female oh are you are you Katie C uh, Higgins at the time are you Katie Higgins and yes that's me you know and so it, it would be really cool and then we would get them coming back 
like Indy Center or whatever, we would, we would get the same controller. And so um, we'd be like, oh, hey, hey again, you know. And so because we were flying 300 days out of the year, we got to know some of the center controllers, which was really neat. Um, but I would say one of the really profound incidents that I remember. So I was in flight school. So we were in the T-6 Texan. For those of you that don't know what that airplane is, it's it's a an ejection seat, single engine propeller aircraft it it books it though right so it was it, it's very fast um it's a lot of airplane for basically someone's first airplane learning how to fly right and i was hanging by the tail as a new pilot right because it was it, it was a lot of stuff to learn um and so at this point i was in in the syllabus i was in formation flying um i was in the lead airplane and my uh wingman was obviously in the second airplane in parade formation, so tucked up close. And um, we ended up trying to do an out and into a small airfield called Bay Manette, Alabama, but there's thunderstorms around, so we couldn't get in there. So we turn around, we're going back to Whiting Field, where we were from, um, which is right outside of Pensacola, Florida. And there was a huge thunderstorm shell cell right over the airfield. And for those of you that know Whiting, there's a south field and a north field. South field, the whole bunch of helicopters. North field is all T6s or T34s at the time. And it's a very, very, very busy airspace. And now you have really severe weather to deal with. So we're in formation. And um, I had not, I'm not instrument qualified at this point. This is probably like my 10th flight total. Um, and so we're going towards this cell. And I asked my instructor, like, who's in the back seat? I'm in the front seat. I'm like, so what do you want me to do? There's a there's a cloud in front of me, right? I've never flown in clouds before, <laughs> you know? And so I'm a, a brand new pilot, like I said. And he's like, oh, try to pick through the clouds. You'll be fine. So, of course, we're like going through it and then socked in immediately as soon as we get. There's no way we're picking around this thing, right? And, of course, like I've done some weather stuff. I know, like, this is really bad to be inside this cell right now. <laughs> you know, I know that. Um, and so we get socked in because I'm not instrument qualified. My instructor says my controls, I give him the controls. And so now I'm sitting there like with, sitting on my hands because I don't know what to do. I, I, my scan is super slow because I haven't been through instruments yet. I know where my altimeter and my airspeed is and stuff, but it's, you know, it's like, okay. And then he's like, Hey, can you put in the ILS? And I said, what's an ILS? right because I, I hadn't been an instrument so I don't know what that he's like okay I got it so I see because it's a glass cockpit so I see things slipping around I see him doing stuff and I'm like looking outside because that's what that's all I know I only know VFR flying right so I'm looking outside my wingman is still tucked up next to us right and and his instructor is also flying his plane because he's not instrument qualified either and I feel us start turning to the left look outside and I see a hole I'm like, oh, that's what he's going to. I didn't verbalize any of this, right? So I see, we see this hole coming. And I see this hole. Okay, that's what he's doing. He's turning towards the hole. And then so I'm looking outside, looking outside, making sure I don't see any traffic, even though I can't see anything. Um, and then all of a sudden, I heard the airplane getting really loud. And I had just come from aerobatics, where I accidentally oversped the airplane because I um, didn't put enough G on trying to do a loop. And so I recognize this loud sound as approaching overspeed, right? And so I come back in and I'm looking at the airspeed and it's like 300, 310, 320, and it overspeeds at like 316. And so as I'm verbalizing, 
sure to talk to my instructor in the back that he's about to overspeed the airplane because he's so busy flipping through trying to get the ILS in. We break out of the clouds and all I see are trees. So I grab the stick and I pull it into my stomach as hard as I can. I end up graying out my instructor. I find that out later. I, and I pull it as hard as I can and pull up and to the right because I knew that I had a wingman to my left. Um, they stayed with me. The instructor pilot was flying in that airplane, stayed with me. We went back into the clouds. We um, ended up flying out of the cell. We went back over towards Baymanet where we were and went into holding. I can tell you once we got like stabilized, I put the box off and I was like in the front seat, like, because <laughs> I was so scared. When, when we later, when we pulled the black box um, from the second airplane, because obviously they were a little bit lower than us, uh, they were 50 feet off the ground by the oh. time we recovered it. We were at 300, 320 knots, 50 feet off the ground. And what had happened was my instructor had gotten the lead. All of us had, got, had gotten the leans, and I didn't know any better. So when we broke out, we were actually 30 degrees nose low at 90 degrees angle of bank, and that's why I saw trees. And all of these Swiss cheese could have been lined up, and all of us could have died easily. The only reason we didn't is I was looking outside because I didn't know any better. And so <laughs> I could react immediately when I saw the trees, right? Right. So now we're, now we're in holding over Baymanet trying to get separate squawks to come in to shoot the ILS because we had just done this whole shit show, you know, we, we were, we were low on gas. And so at this point, ATC was our, was keeping me and the rest of my flight safe because we were telling them like, we literally almost died because of, <laughs> because of flying into the crown because the weather is so bad. Visibility is so bad. We can't come in as a as a two ship. Please give us separate squawks. Give us vectors for getting in. And again, I didn't know what a freaking vector was at this point because I'd only flown VFR. <laughs> so get, give us vectors to get in. And oh, by the way, can you please put us on a priority because we're at emergency fuel. I was locking my ejection seat because I was convinced we were going to run out of fuel and eject. But they prioritized us. They got us in. We shot the ILS. We actually ran out of fuel once we pulled into our parking spot and just puttered out because we had ran out of fuel. But I and I know I would have ejected out of that airplane if it was not for ATC. Just and and they had to have been overwhelmed at the time, right? Because of all the airplanes trying to get in. But having us saying like we legitimately almost had a had four people die. And oh by the way, we're running out of fuel. Can you please help us? I, that was the first time that I really saw ATC jump in and like save the day. And whether it was my instructor was overwhelmed or whatever it was, um, they truly were an asset that got us, got me safely home. Um, and, and I will never be able to thank those controllers enough. And I don't even know who they are, but they, they right. saved my life back wow. in the day. That's yeah. Amazing. And that, it, I mean, that's what we're there for. We do deal with a lot of unusual situations and emergencies, and most of them end up everybody lands safely. And yep. are you need further assistance? No. Okay. Have a good day. And that's the end of that relationship, yep. you know. And it yep. it totally affects your life forever, my life forever. So it's yep. it's a really interesting dynamic. Um, have you had any other emergencies that you need ATC's assistance? I mean, on a hurricane, when you have like an engine out, it's technically like 
you know, in a, an emergency, we were shutting down an engine, but it, we have three others. So you're, you're, I feel like that happens a lot with the C1. Yeah. It did. The older one. And so it was the same type of thing. We we're like, well, it's an emergency, but they have a yeah. lot. Of <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so not so much there. I'm trying to think there was one in mine's always weather related. I was doing, I was doing a low level in the French Alps which sounds so bougie, but I was doing, <laughs> I was doing a low level in the French Alps and, um, and the weather that the weather brief we had gotten from the French military just wasn't right. Um, and you can imagine, you know, 12,000 foot, you know, elevation around us as you're going through the mountains is, is scary. And so as we're getting socked in, I'm like, okay, we're, we're, we're knocking this off. We're going to climb up. As we're climbing up, hit icing. So the icing system turns on. Now your climbing profile is greatly reduced because your thrust is, is down because you're using that for anti-ice. And now I'm like, oh, God, we're going to crash into a mountain, right? So now I'm, I've got our radar on, you know, to make sure that we don't crash into anything. But I'm trying to talk to a French controller in English to get, you know, uh, and then they're doing exactly what you're saying. Go to this VFR checkpoint. I'm like, that's not on a chart. I don't know what that is. I don't, I mean, tell me what's on the freaking approach plate. Give me that because I can punch it in my computer and I can go there and hold or whatever you need me to do, but get me away from this mountain and this terrain that I don't know very well. Um, and it's icing and it's cloudy and I can't see anything. And it's, you know, and so that, that French controller that day definitely, uh, helped me out and I think they could probably hear like in my voice of like please help <laughs> you know like yeah. you, you want to remain as calm as you can but it's like you get frustrated when they're like hey go to this point and you're like that th where is that that's not that's a local point I don't know what that is give me something that's on like even a jet plate that's not, you know like please just give me something and that so. is so that's such a perfect thing to hit on too because a lot of what we we tell pilots is speak to us and tell us what you need we don't know we're not in that cockpit we want to help you but we don't always understand the situation so um you speaking clearly to that controller and saying nope that's not going to work for me that's perfect you know yeah. and that's that's what yep. we need the pilots to do if if we're saying something that's not working for them and they're in a situation then that's what again that's what we're here to do is we'll, we'll figure something else out then we're working together to get this yep to get yep. you where you need to go. So, yeah. Um, and I, I think that's, I think that's such a great point because especially as a controller, if you're like, Hey, go to whatever point, the red barn or whatever the heck, you know, some of these people say like, Oh, go to the red barn for the initial. And you're like, what the hell? I've never been here before. I don't know what the red barn is. Right. That's when you speak up and say, Hey, I'm unfamiliar. I'm not from here. Can I get a radial DME or whatever, you know? And, and they can give it to you, but you've got to express that rather than just fly around looking for a red barn. Right. It makes a lot more sense to just express that, hey, I'm not a local. I don't know what that means. So, Did you Have you ever been in a situation where you wished ATC was there? Maybe an unusual situation? Um, it's kind of weird because you know they're not there and you're dealing with it anyway. But I would say, so in Afghanistan, it's all uncontrolled. Right. And so we had it at the time kind of broken up by a code. I, I, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say. I don't know how much is uh, 
classified still or not, but it was, it was, it was split up in a way that they could tell you to go, here's a code and you would go there. Right. But, and they would tell you like, Hey, there's somebody operating in the area next to you. They're supposed to be at this altitude, but like they couldn't see if anybody was actually where they're supposed to be. And a lot of times people were not where they're supposed to be, especially UAVs. And we're not talking part 101 UAVs. We, we're talking like Reapers and Preds that are that could destroy your airplane if they went through it, right? And and I remember being in an orbit one time and seeing a Pred go right right up past us because it got caught in an in a updraft. And so I would say like that operating in that environment, same thing in Africa when we're talking on HF radio to people trying to get a hold of them, like that that stuff makes you appreciate flying in the States or flying in Europe where they have coverage of you at all times. Um, because when, when you're just, when they're like, Hey, we think this is where the person is <laughs> like, they, and there's nothing they can do. You know, they're, they're yeah. marking them on kind of like a whiteboard of this is where everyone's supposed to be. That that's definitely super precarious. Um, but yeah, I, I did get in trouble with ATC once, not in trouble. I, the only time that I had like a really kind of bad experience, was when I was flying to Hawaii for the first time. So I was an East Coaster. So I flew over the Atlantic all the time and was really familiar with that um, process. And so you would request like a, 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 a overwater clearance that would give you all the points that you were going on um, and all this. And there was like a definite like process for being able to go, you know, o- over the Atlantic. So the first time I went over the Pacific, my I was a co-pilot. My my aircraft commander got sick. Got we later found out was viral pneumonia. He was so sick he couldn't sit in the in the seat anymore. So he gets out. So here I am, boot pilot, navigating, watching the fuel, and talking on the radio, which is way different going on HF radio like PTA PTP stuff. You know, it's like trying to make these calls. And so I called the Pacific controller and I'm like, um, requesting over, over water clearance. And they're like, I, we gave you your clearance on the ground. What are you even talking about? And we don't do that here. And I'm just like, Oh God, I don't know any better. I was, I was just trying to do what I've taught. I'll go in the Atlantic. And so we were like really kind of mean. And, and again, it was like, Clearly, I'm like a new pilot. I don't know what the hell is going on. And oh, by the way, I'm over the water. Like, <laughs> and I'm just trying to get to Hawaii. And this guy's dying in my airplane. Like, so I, I remember that. That was the only time that I ever had like a really bad kind of experience with a controller. But yeah, it was always nice, especially when you're doing those over water flights, every hour that you would make those position calls to being able to say like, okay, somebody knows where I am if something bad happens, you know, so. Yeah, that comfort blanket. I always think about when I flew, flew solo or anything, and you know, especially at night. And I'm not the best pilot yet or anything. And just having some voice there sometimes is all you need. But I, the same thing with HC. I, as a pilot, I, I, I flew over the Grand Canyon once in restricted air. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> I've had my fair share on the other side where I didn't do everything perfectly either. And that's just part of learning, you know, that we all have to gain that experience. And that's just, that's part of the game. So that's Um, why flight following is money for all those VFR pilots out there. Flight following will keep you from doing that stuff. Right. And, and I, that's, I would never fly VFR without getting flight following now. 
because it'll, it'll help you from doing dumb stuff. Or if you're like plowing through a MOA, they're at least going to tell you that there's people in there, you know? So. Right. And I, I totally agree with that. And in the beginning, again, I tried to avoid talking to ATC because I was nervous. And now being on the other side, please get flight following that we give traffic That's advisories. Right. We let you know about terrain, any, anything like that. And departing out of our airspace, they don't have to have a code or anything like that. The ones that are unfamiliar, I do the extra step where I say frequency change approved, contact departure on, and just yeah. kind of for flight following and kind of push in that direction. And it's obviously yeah. your choice, but um, it but is. But if you get in an emergency, you're already having a relationship with that person. You already have the frequency dialed in. They have tabs on you. So if you all of a sudden disappeared, right. again, you have that crew member that's just not in the cockpit with you that has your back. If you're trying to aviate, communicate, navigate, aviate, navigate, communicate, and you're trying to dig through an approach plate while your airplane's on fire, like that's just the worst place to go. Yes, you can call on guard, but it just makes a whole hell of a lot more sense to me to to already have that flight following. So. And that is such a good point. It's, it's also on that aspect. If, if you do run into a bad situation, that's one less thing. And yep. that takes a lot of weight off just alone that you're already dealing with ATC and you don't have to get all that stuff lined up. Yep. Very cool. um, the, the other question I had, and this is just, again, for, for pilots, GA pilots, really any pilots, um, you know, being part of the, the Blue Angels, you have to have that good attention to detail and that ability to manage those distractions. And, I just wanted to know if you have any recommendations, maybe not obviously flying with Blue Angels, but just in flying in general on how to stay focused and keep those tasks at hand when there are distractions in the cockpit. Yeah. So, you know, compartmentalization, I cannot stress that enough. Um, you know, when you, when you step inside that cockpit, you're, you, it's not just your life in your hands. It's, Every all of your other crew members, it's anybody on the ground that your airplane could possibly run into. It's the ATC controller who could have, you know, a lot of invested if something bad happened to you as well. It's your families back home and everything. And so there's a lot of people that need you to be fully focused once you're in that cockpit, right? And so you may be going through a divorce, which I was when I was in Afghanistan. You may be worried about your kid because your kid is sick or you know, maybe you have some financial problems, but there could be these huge worldly problems, but you need to put them in a box before you step into that cockpit. And you need to close that box and not let it open while you're in there because you need to have your full attention um, on tackling whatever problem comes up on tackling the mission at hand. Um, so you, do, you can't have creep from the outside world is, is the first thing. And the second thing, again, you need to rely on the basics. That's why we train, train, train. That's why we do emergency simulations and stuff like that, because you want your body to default to the right uh, steps, right? You have an engine fire. This is my emergency procedure. And you know it cold because you practice it and you practice it every day. Even if it's for me, I would do it when I was in the shower, right? So I'd wash my hair and I would go through all of my emergency procedures in the shower every day, sometimes twice a day if I was sweaty from the gym later, right? And so and so you you can just pick a time um, to go over these things every day so that it's default when, when you're maneuvering, because you don't want to be pulling out a book and unless you have the time, you know, obviously no fast hands in the cockpit, but for those that you're supposed to commit to memory, you want to be able to, there's a reason that they're memory items, right? Because you don't have much time. And so you need to be proficient in that. And that's what 
um, your crew members expect of you. That's what people on the ground expect of you. That's what FAA expects of you. You are supposed to be a professional pilot. And part of that profession is being proficient at those emergency procedures and being a professional in the cockpit. So. Perfectly said. I love it. <laughs> it's so true. We, we always, we have this whole thing about everything is a training day and be one, be 100%, 100% of the time. And it's the same type of thing. You know, it's that self-discipline, you know? Thank you for joining us for this episode of the NACA podcast. We look forward to bringing you a new episode soon. Take care.